When our son, Andy, was very little, I made a deal with him that if he kept his room clean and took very good care of his goldfish for an entire week, that we would go to the donut shop and he could pick out any donut that he wanted. Now, Andy loved donuts, so he was highly motivated, and he did what I asked. He kept the room clean, and the goldfish was happy. So we went to the donut shop, and everything was great, until we got in front of the case full of donuts, and Andy saw the huge variety there. And he just stared at the case and sort of froze. And then he hemmed and hawed and shifted his weight back and forth on his feet. He, he just didn't seem to be able to say what he wanted. So I leaned down and I said, honey, what do you want? And he looked up at me and I thought the child was going to cry. Well, thank goodness, in that moment, the donut lady stepped in. That's what Andy called the woman who worked behind the counter there, the donut lady. And bless her heart, she saved the day. The donut lady looked at Andy and she said, now I know what you want. I could tell it when you came in the store. You want a donut, and not just any donut. If you're like me, you want a powdered sugar donut. And then she got the wax paper and leaned into the case and pulled out this great big powdered sugar donut and gave it to Andy, who by this time was smiling ear to ear. And he became the happiest boy in the whole wide world. You know, friends, it's odd how sometimes we can want something, maybe more than anything. And yet, when it comes right down to it in a pinch, we just don't seem to be able to articulate what it is that we want. And when that happens, it's really good to have somebody like the donut lady in our life, someone who sees and understands, identifies with what we want, and can give voice to that. Friends, in our text this morning, Philip is our donut lady. Obviously not, because he's uh, voicing our deep desire for powdered sugar donuts, awesome as they are but because he gives voice to our deep, deep need to know God. Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied, he says. Satisfied. That's a very powerful word, isn't it? Satisfied. When something satisfies us, well, then it has to be something that we want or need really, really badly. And the truth is that we need, all of us, very badly to know God. It's a fundamental thing for us, and yet, and yet, like Andy standing in front of that case of donuts, we can stand in the midst of life, and somehow that need stays buried deep within us for some reason. We just can't say that we need to know God that that's the thing that will really satisfy us. Friends, I'm not sure exactly why this is. Some have suggested that the reason might be pride. You know, if we say we need to know God, if we make that public, well, then everybody's going to know that we're not self-sufficient, you know, that something is missing, and some of us are really, really uncomfortable with that idea. In my very first appointment, one of my tasks 
was to conduct a weekly communion service on Tuesday evenings. Friends, that was not a popular service. Um, very few people attended it. So if we got a visitor, it was a big deal and they stuck out a lot. Well, one night I, I stood up to conduct that service and we had a visitor, uh, a young man towards the back of the sanctuary sitting there with his arms crossed and I watched him throughout the service. He, he didn't come forward to receive communion when it was time. In fact, he, he spent the whole service trying very hard, I thought, to look like an observer more than a participant. When the service ended, I made a beeline to the back of the church to greet him, and I said, glad you were here, hope you'll come back again. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you ended up coming out to the church tonight. And this young man just launched into this long explanation about how many religions he had studied and how many books he had read and how many theologians he had talked to and how many documentaries he had seen. And he, he talked about all of this in this rather dispassionate way, sort of like a scientist studying a, a bug under a magnifying glass. And then he said, so you know, I wasn't doing anything tonight, so I just thought I'd come by and check it out. Right. Just curious. Nothing better to do on a Tuesday night than look up a communion service online and drive across town to a church you've never been to to attend it. He wasn't looking for God or anything like that, right? Well, others have suggested that perhaps our problem in this regard is that many of us have an issue exposing our emotions. You know, we, we think of ourselves, some of us, as private people. We don't like to be vulnerable. We don't want to look needy. Talking about our need to know God feels like such a personal thing. Some people just don't feel like they can expose that to anybody under any circumstances. I once went to pray with a man who was facing a very serious heart operation, a, a life or death heart operation. And I went to his hospital room and, and when I opened the door, I was just met with a wall of sound. His, his room was full of family and friends who were waiting with him there before they took him to pre-op. And they were laughing, telling stories, cutting up, teasing the patient, you know. And I, I came in, and they welcomed me, and I made small talk with them for a while. We, we joked together. And then I said, you know, it might be a good idea if we circle up and pray. And the man waved me off. He said, oh, no, no, I'm good. Thanks for coming all the way over here, preacher. It's great to see you, but I don't need anything. Everything's okay. But then one of his friends said, now come on, Holly came all the way over here. The least we can do is let her pray. Can't hurt. So he relented. He was still joking, you know, had a big smile on his face when I took his hand in mine to pray. 
He might have been smiling, but his hand, it was freezing cold and sweating all at the same time. He was scared to death. And when I looked into his eyes, I could see it all right. But in that moment, he didn't need to know God or anything like that, right? Well, finally, some theologians have suggested that the reason that we don't just come out and say, Lord, show us the Father, is because we're afraid of what the answer might be if we ask it. You know, that if we poke too hard, what we're going to find out is that in actuality, nobody is driving the universal bus, and people turn to dust, and the world created itself, and in the words of Shakespeare, life is much ado about nothing. But on this last point, you might say, now, Holly, come on. You can look at creation. You can look at nature and see evidence that there is a God. And I believe that's true. We can look at the created order, the intricacies of it, the miracle of the human body alone, the web of relationships of life that we live in, the sun and the moon and the stars, and God comes to mind. It's funny, really, how quickly that can happen. Whether we're in some beautiful place, like walking along the seashore or up on a mountaintop or just stepping out onto our front porch on a cool fall morning. We breathe in that crisp air that has that smell to it, you know. It smells like the seasons are changing. It's it's amazing then how quickly our thoughts will turn to God. That's all true, I think. So then, why isn't it enough? Why is Philip still standing there waiting for an answer to his question? Philip has eyes to see and ears to hear. Philip sees nature. Philip is aware of the created order. Why is he standing there saying to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied? Well, perhaps it's because there's not anything especially satisfying about knowing that there is a God. There's not something really satisfying about believing that a God exists. There's nothing redeeming or saving, especially in that. No, what we really want, what we desire, what will satisfy us is knowing God. We don't want to know who God is and what God is like and how God feels about us and what God wants us to do with our lives. No amount of sitting outside and observing nature will give us that kind of satisfaction. And you know, we need to know this all the time. We do. I believe that. But we especially need to know God when we're afraid. Which Philip is in this text. Because you see, Jesus is saying goodbye it's toward the end of his life. He's preparing to, to leave. He's, he shared the Last Supper. He, he's on his way to the cross, and the disciples, well, they are confused and they are scared. 
where are you going? They ask. How, how will we know how to find you? What's going to happen to us? They're scared. Friends, when we're feeling afraid, especially, that feeling that's there so often, it, it does just seem to bubble up this need to know God. Perhaps that's the reason for that old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, Philip asked, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And what does Jesus say? Well, good grief, Philip. Have you been with me all this time? And you don't understand? Weren't you there, Philip? Weren't you there? When there was that blind man begging on the side of the road and he was crying out for help and I, I healed him? Weren't you there for that, Philip? Or weren't you there when there was that group of lepers and I, I healed them, I touched them, nobody else would, but I did, Philip. Weren't you there? Well, yes, yes, Lord, says Philip. But we want to see God. Okay, Philip. Weren't you there when Lazarus died? You remember that? Three days in the tomb. Three. There was weeping and wailing. I cried too over the loss of my friend. And then I called him out. And out came Lazarus, still bound in his grave clothes, staggering into the sun. Do you remember that? Yes, says Philip, I, I love miracles, but we want to see God. Well, Philip, weren't you with me tonight? Weren't you there for this, this supper we shared together? Weren't you there when I... I took the towel and the basin and I washed your feet and the feet of all of our friends. And I said, love one another as I have loved you. Weren't you there, Philip, for that? Didn't you see it? Didn't you experience it? Yes, says Philip, that was very kind, but we want to see God. And so Jesus, beaten and spat upon, takes a cross on his back and he starts up the hill and he turns and looks at Philip and all of us and says, have you been with me all this time and you do not understand that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My friends, do you understand that that's who God is? Jesus, healing, loving, including, touching, forgiving, even those who beat and spat on him and put him on a cross to die. That's who God is. And when we understand that, well then as Christ's disciples, we are compelled then to follow in his holy footsteps. Being a Christian person 
means healing and loving and including and forgiving, serving as Christ would, as he did. You see, friends, that's why Jesus calls himself the way, because he's the way to God, and he's the way to live. He shows us both. In the words of a thousand cheesy bumper stickers, Jesus is the answer. So as we come to the end of this Lenten sermon series on Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John, I am incredibly grateful for our brother Philip who gives voice to the thing that we long for the most, our deep, deep desire to know God. In this time, friends, when you may be feeling afraid, remember, if you wonder who God is in the midst of this mess we're in, look to Jesus. If you wonder how you should live, even in the midst of these trying times, look to Jesus. Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. I am the way and the truth and the life, says Jesus. He is the way to God. He is the way to live. He is the way to life, my friends. Will you pray with me? Most loving God, how grateful we are that you sent us Christ who is the way. We want to know who you are, O oh God. Let us look to him and follow him that we may be the loving and grace-filled people you call us to be. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.